Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. If you've ever been drunk, high, or even drowsy from allergy medication, you've experienced what happens when some molecules defeat the defense system called the blood-brain barrier and make it into the brain. This barrier is an amazing multi-tiered system of protection. That's next. Quanta Magazine is an editorially independent online publication supported by the Simons Foundation to enhance public understanding of science. Hundreds of miles of capillaries wind through the brain. The blood-brain barrier is embedded in the walls of those capillaries, keeping most molecules in the blood from ever reaching sensitive neurons. Basically, the skull protects the brain from external physical threats, and the blood-brain barrier protects it from chemical and pathogenic ones. The barrier is a fantastic feat of evolution, but it's very much a nuisance for drug developers who've spent decades trying to selectively overcome it to deliver therapeutics to the brain. Biomedical researchers want to understand the barrier better because its failures seem to be the key to some diseases and because manipulating the barrier could help improve the treatment of certain conditions. Elizabeth Ray is a research biologist at the University of Washington Medicine Memory and Brain Wellness Center. I think we're definitely still facing challenges and getting substrates and therapeutics across the blood-brain barrier, but I think we've learned a lot over the last decade. Like the rest of the body, the brain needs circulating blood to deliver essential nutrients and oxygen and to carry away waste. But blood chemistry constantly fluctuates, and brain tissue is sensitive to its chemical environment. Richard Dainman is an associate professor of pharmacology at the University of California, San Diego. For instance, in your liver, the blood vessels have huge gaps so that stuff can flow in from the blood into the liver and stuff can flow from the liver to the blood. And that's because the point of the liver is to detoxify the blood and so it needs to sense all the blood. For the brain, because the neuronal circuitry of the brain is really about the ion gradients across the cell membranes, everything has to be kept in such tight homeostasis for neuronal function to occur, that these blood vessels in the brain have this greatly restricted movement of molecules and ions between the blood and the brain so that they can tightly control the environment of the brain so that the brain can function properly. If ions could flow freely out of the blood, that precision needed to communicate within the brain would be lost. Other types of biologically active molecules can also intermingle with the delicate neurons, interfering with thoughts, memories, and behaviors. Lots of things do get into the brain, and they get into the brain at different amounts. To me, the most important aspect of the blood-brain barrier is it's really there to control the environment for proper brain function. So it's not only a wall to stop other things, it's there to deliver what the brain needs. So the blood-brain barrier provides protection. But it's not a discrete structure like the walls around a fortress. Instead, the term refers to the unique properties of the blood vessels in the brain and those of the neighboring brain cells that wrap closely around those vessels. Most of the body's capillaries are leaky at a molecular level to allow the free flow of nutrients and other substances. Their permeability is crucial to the function of organs, such as the kidney and liver. But the brain's blood vessels are built to a higher, less leaky standard. 
The endothelial cells that make up the capillary walls are pinned tightly together by structures called tight junctions. Elisa Konofagu, a professor of biomedical engineering and radiology at Columbia University, says the thin parallel protein strands stick the cells together. It's a mechanical structure, right? So basically it has this protein strands. I call them almost like wires through the bricks. You know, they're reinforcing that wall that we have in our capillaries. A few kinds of molecules can get passed, but in small amounts. And they're mostly very small and water-soluble. But the brain also needs many other molecules, such as glucose and insulin, which can't squeeze between the tight junctions. So the barrier is also lined with pumps and receptors that, like bouncers for an elite club, permit only certain molecules in and quickly eject most trespassers. Beyond the capillary wall itself are layers of supportive cells, which also help to maintain the barrier and adjust its permeability. Nevertheless, despite those layers of protection, some unwanted substances do get through to the brain reliably. Ethanol, the main ingredient in alcoholic beverages, can simply diffuse through cell membranes. Some molecules look too much like the needed ones to be kept out. If you've ever wondered why over-the-counter antihistamines for allergies make you sleepy, it's because they slip through the barrier and get to your neurons. Newer, non-drowsy antihistamines don't penetrate the barrier and act only on immune cells in the blood. But not every part of the brain needs the same molecules. Here's Ray again. The blood-brain barrier is not homogenous throughout the entirety of the brain. So the blood-brain barrier in the olfactory bulb is going to act differently and have a different composition of proteins than the blood-brain barrier in the hippocampus. In fact, some parts of the brain don't have a traditional blood-brain barrier at all. Take the choroid plexus. It's a tissue in the large cavities of the brain that produces cerebrospinal fluid, or CSF. The walls of the blood vessels are much leakier there. They have to be because the blood CSF barrier of the choroid plexus needs to secrete a half liter of CFS into the brain every day. That kind of output requires extensive amounts of water, ions, and nutrients from the blood. Daneman says this protective function isn't perfect, but... Basically, any animal with a complex nervous system has a method to insulate it. For the most part, we call it a blood-brain barrier, but they can be very different. For instance, in invertebrates like flies, there's no blood vessels, and so the blood-brain barrier is made by glial cells that ensheath it. In most vertebrates, it's made by the blood vessels. However, in some, like sharks and skates and sturgeon, it seems to be there's leaky vessels, but then glial cells around. Actually, we're studying that right now. When the barrier breaks down, it brings a wave of trouble to the brain. Barislav Zlokovich, chair of the Department of Physiology and Neuroscience at the Keck School of Medicine of the University of Southern California, compares it to something else we've heard a lot about. The best comparison I like to usually make is like an ozone layer for the earth. It's actually very, very small, but, you know, it really keeps life on the earth because it does protect the atmosphere and everything else we have on earth. Many groups are examining how the barrier changes during disease or injury. For example, a breakdown of the blood-brain barrier is a hallmark of Alzheimer's disease. 
A recent study in the journal Nature Neuroscience mapped out significant changes to gene expression within blood-brain barrier cells in the brains of Alzheimer's patients. In multiple sclerosis, the blood-brain barrier breaks down, leading to an overflow of immune system cells in the brain that then attack the protective insulation around neurons. Traumatic brain injuries and strokes can also open up the barrier and cause potentially irreversible damage. But selectively opening or closing the blood-brain barrier could be beneficial. Many potentially useful drugs can't get past the barrier. That's partly because technical limitations hindered a lot of the progress in studying the blood-brain barrier. But new technologies have helped scientists get past that. Maria Lettinen is in pediatric pathology research at Boston Children's Hospital. I think this is a really exciting time for the field. I would say like in the last 10 years, we're on a really exponential upward trajectory. I think a lot of the progress has been hindered in the past due to technical limitations, and we've overcome a lot of this with new technologies, including single cell transcriptomics, many of the omics platforms, and imaging the ability to non-invasively track cells in the brain and watch their biology. In recent years, many groups have zeroed in on a Trojan horse approach in which drugs piggyback into the brain by holding on to molecules that can naturally transit the barrier. Other work has looked at using targeted ultrasound to open up parts of the barrier and deliver drugs to treat Parkinson's disease and other ailments. In a recent study in Science Advances, researchers used ultrasound to open the blood-brain barrier and successfully deliver fluorescent proteins into the brains of macaques. The researchers are now working to adapt that approach to the delivery of gene therapy drugs that could fight Parkinson's disease. At one time, the blood-brain barrier was thought of as an unchanging wall, but Lettinen says scientists now view it as dynamic and living. It's a bouncer of sorts, but it's not a static barrier. And I think it probably grows and develops in different ways in different parts of the nervous system. And I think there's a lot to be learned from it still. I think that if we can better understand how all of these barriers are regulated, we're going to have a better chance at treating certain types of diseases. The blood-brain barrier temporarily creaks open naturally when we are in deep REM sleep or when we exercise. It changes with exposure to hormones and drugs, closing off old avenues for entry or opening new ones. Research biologist Elizabeth Ray says when some molecules bind to the barrier, its cells can sometimes signal to the brain how to act without ever letting the molecule through. So rather than a stone rampart around a medieval fortress, the blood-brain barrier is like a magical wall in which doors appear and disappear and windows grow bigger and smaller. Some parts crumble, some parts get built back, and it's constantly changing. Arlene Santana helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Yasmin Sapokolu's full article, How the Brain Protects Itself from Bloodborne Threats, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Just a quick note, Maria Lettinen is an investigator with the Simons Foundation's Autism Research Initiative, and Richard Dainman has previously received funding from the Simons Foundation. The Simons Foundation also funds Quanta as an editorially independent magazine. Funding decisions have no influence on our coverage. 
Explore math mysteries in the quanta book, The Prime Number Conspiracy, published by the MIT Press. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or your local bookstore.